morning, everyone. Thursday night, Mom and I went to the Suns game, and it was an exciting game. The most exciting thing that happened during the game, though, happened at halftime, where they had a puppy race. I was going to throw a picture of the puppy race up on the screen, but I figured I would probably lose a lot of you to the cuteness. So let me just say that the puppy race was well worth the price of admission. It was pretty great. There were four puppies that they had come out, and they were the cutest little puppies. I think one's name was Kevin. Uh, Kevin didn't win, unfortunately, but they had four puppies who were there, there on the court, and they basically ran them from one end of this little racetrack that they had set up all the way to the other end of the racetrack. And just picture in your mind what you might expect to see during a puppy race at a basketball game. Little puppies running across, chasing you know, something down the, down the court, down to the finish line. You'll never guess what happened, though, when they, when they said, ready, set, go, and the gorilla ran in front of them. Yeah, the puppies didn't care. <laughs> the puppies had no interest in making it to the end and to the finish line. They, you know, there were squeaky toys. There was food. They were trying to motivate these little puppies to run down the court. The puppies didn't care. They just wanted to be pet. They just wanted to sit there and, and sniff each other, and, and they really had no interest in moving down the court to the other side. And at that moment, I just had to ask myself, what would motivate a puppy to do such a thing, to run down the court? Eventually, one of them did. Eventually, I don't know what happened, but there was a, one of the people had a piece of food, and interesting food enough to where the puppy eventually ran down to the other end. He was the only one. All the rest of them sat at the starting line and played. But what would happen, what would have to motivate a little puppy to run from one end of this racetrack to the other to win. You know, a lot of us, we might think, well, food would be a great motivator, or a toy, a squeaky toy might be a great motivator. No, no, not motivating to a little puppy who doesn't care. You know, I had to ask myself, too, what would motivate the sons to want to win when we lost that game? What would motivate us to play better defense? What would motivate us to actually get a rebound? <laughs> what would motivate us to to be better, to win, to put in our all. Three weeks ago, we had a, a, a goals presentation, and I don't want you to compare yourself to the sons or to puppies, but three weeks ago, our elders stood before us and they presented the 2023 goals. And the question that Andy started his lesson with, the question that Mitch started his class with, is the same question I'm going to ask us to start this lesson. What motivates you? Why, why do you do what you do? As Andy talked about with integrity this morning, why do you feel like it's important to be an integral person, to be a consistent, predictable disciple of Jesus? As Mitch talked about in his class, why do you why do you feel like the authority of the Bible is something you hold dear? Why? What motivates you to live a life of dedication to the Lord? And as we think about our goals this year, I want us to start really wrapping our minds around why. Why do we want to grow to spiritual maturity? Why should you want to grow to spiritual maturity? And here's the thing. I could stand before you and I could present you with all of the carrots in the world. 
I could present you with all kinds of motivation. I could present you with all kinds of reasons why you should want to grow to spiritual maturity this year. But here's the thing. If you don't want to, nothing I'm going to do, nothing the elders are going to do, nothing that Sean is going to do is going to get you to want to grow. Does that make sense? You're, you're going to be like that little puppy sitting there at the end of the thing, just not wanting to start, not wanting to push forward, not wanting to put in the effort. And for a lot of us, I think there was a, well, there was something missing when we read through in our scripture reading from 2 Peter chapter 1. I love that Gary started our scripture reading from 2 Peter chapter 1 and beginning in, in verse 5, because here's what the first few words of this scripture sounds like to me. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort. I'm just going to stop right there. You ever start a reading, just coming cold to a reading, and it says, for this very reason? This is what it sounds like to me. That's what it sounds like to me. Missing something. It's unresolved. That's what we're going to do this morning. Because here over the next year, we're going to go through from verses 5 down to 11 in our monthly sermons that we give about the goals that have been presented for us. We're going to go through and we're going to look at every single one of the qualities that Peter lists here. We're going to go through and we're going to look at faith. We're going to look at virtue. We're going to look at all of these things together. And then we're going to look at the results of a life of these kinds of qualities that we begin to see uh, there near the end of this reading. We're going to study those things together. We're going to look at why it's important to add to our faith virtue. And we're going to look and see how we can be better and how we can grow and how we can push forward. We're going to look at all the reasons why we should do that. But here's the thing. For this very reason, Peter is pointing to what he just got done saying, that if we miss it, if we skip it, we have no motivation. We miss our why. We miss what drives us to actually want to grow. And you might have a lot of reasons. Young people, I, I was the same way, right? Believe me when I say that there were a lot of times when I wanted to do things to make mom and dad happy. That, that's just a reality of it. That's a fact of it, because I know that there are people watching me, that there are people who care about me, and there was, for a very long time in my life, a motivation that I wanted other people to be happy with my life. And then slowly, over, over my life, over my maturity, really, I started to understand the real reason why I should want to grow spiritually. And it's because of what Peter talks about here. It's because of what Peter talks about in verses 3 and 4 of 2 Peter chapter 1. And so this morning, before Sean gets up next week and, Lord willing, gives us the beginning lesson in this series, talking about faith here from 2 Peter chapter 1, he's going to talk all about faith and he's going to explain why faith is the bedrock of what we do and what we build everything up upon. Before we get there, though, let's, let's answer the question for all of us, why do we care about growing? What motivates us to grow? What pushes us forward? And so I'm going to posit here, I'm going, to, I'm going to put out there that I believe what Peter is saying is it's grace 
that causes us to grow. Grace is the reason why we do everything we do. Grace is the reason why we push forward. It is, it is the motivator, it is the reason why we live our lives the way that we do. And so, we're going to look at why grace is so important, and the big idea here in this lesson is that God's incredible grace is what motivates us to become more spiritually mature. If Andy covered the reasons why we live with integrity, if Mitch covered the reasons why we take Bible authority so importantly, this morning I'm going to talk about why we want to grow. So let's do that together for just a little bit. Let's read these first three or these first two verses here in first or sorry, second Peter chapter one, beginning in verses three and four. Peter says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Those are the first two verses. Now here's the thing. Let me just, I'm just going to lay this out. Why do we jump into verse 5? Why do we usually start in verse 5? Verses 3 and 4 are complicated. And I love the pot calling the kettle black as Peter would therefore go on later on to talk about how Paul sometimes writes things that are hard to understand. And he starts out his whole letter here in 2 Peter with something that is kind of hard to understand. These first two verses, when you break them down and you start to see that, you know, if, if you actually, it's one sentence in, in the English translation. There's a, there's a bunch of commas. It looks like Paul wrote this, this series of verses here. But this, this is why we do what we do. This is why we want to add to our faith virtue and all the things that we're going to talk about there from verse 5 onward. These two verses are the reason why. And first, I think we see that it's because of what God does. It's because of what God has given to us. This is the structure of his sermon. If you, if you look at 2 Peter verses one, sorry, chapter 1, verses 3 to 11, this sermon that he provides here has a structure that looks like this. Here's what God does. Here's what we do in response, and here's what awaits us after all these things are over. That's a really simple sermon structure. And so what I want to first focus on this morning is what God does. What has God done for us? And of course, we're talking about grace. And in all of the, these things, I hope you'll see grace. If you have your Bible open, look there in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us. Anyone's translation has something else probably given to us. This is a gift. God has given to us something through his divine power. Look at verse 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and great promises. He has given to us. What is grace? Okay, if somebody says unmerited favor, we're, we're going to have a conversation. Yes, I know that's like the Church of Christ definition of, of grace. What is grace? It's a gift. It's something that was given. Of course, we don't deserve it. We don't earn it. It's a gift. And what is Peter saying here in these first two verses? 
He's given to us. What has he given to us? He's given us all the equipment we need to live our lives with excellence. Look there in verse 3 again. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What does that look like, though? Through God's divine power, through his, through his great and awesome majesty, he has gifted us everything we need in this life. Now, I don't have a Corvette. Do I need that? Is that what he's talking about here? Is he talking about showering upon us all of the richest, most expensive, lavish, monetary kinds of... Of course not. What is he talking about here? What is he giving to us in our lives to give meaning and, and fruitfulness to us? He says, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. What is life? all about. When God gives us everything we need to live an excellent life, when he equips us, when he provides to us all of the things that we require to live before him well, how do we, how do we achieve those things? By knowing him who called us. That's it. That is it. That is how we have everything we need for life and godliness because we know him. We know him. There is a special importance placed, especially in 2 Peter, but throughout the Bible, there is a special place of importance for knowing God and for knowing his son Jesus. It's so important, by the way, that Peter bookends this letter with knowledge of Jesus and God the Father. Look at verse 2. Peter says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Right off the bat. And, and you might say, okay, well, it's a salutation, right? In a lot of letters, it's kind of a, a lot of people view it as like a throwaway statement. Uh-uh. No way. Bible doesn't have throwaway statements. Grace being multiplied and peace being multiplied to us in the knowledge of God and of his son Jesus. Now go to chapter 3, verse 18, the very end of this short little letter. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Both of those verses talk about growth, both of those verses talk about grace. Both of those verses talk about knowledge of God and of his son. A lot of people, and I, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be dogmatic about it, but a lot of people say this is the, the handbook for our life. Yes and no. In this book, we come to know Jesus. And the knowledge of Jesus is the handbook for our life. You understand the distinction? It's important for us to see that throughout this entire book, we come to know Jesus. 
where do I have everything I need for my life? If I'm, if I'm in a situation, how should I deal with this peer pressure, this temptation? Andy talked about a really good one today. If no one is watching and you have the opportunity to sin with a, another person, should you do it? How do I deal with that? Well, when I come to know Jesus, I know how to handle that situation. I am equipped to make the right call because of my relationship with Jesus. When you find yourself wanting to use your money in a particular way, like we talked about in our Bible class, how do you know what to do with that money? How do you know what the right thing, what the best thing to do is? You know Jesus, and that shows you where to go and what to do. Everything we need for life and godliness comes because we know God the Father and we know his son Jesus. A lot of people know a lot of scripture and they can memorize a lot of scripture. Does that mean they know Jesus? Unless it gets put into practice in their life, unless you put this book into practice in your life, Unless you put the knowledge that you've gained here into practice in your life, it means nothing. This word, actually, that he uses here, this word knowledge, is not just a mental acknowledgement. This is the kind of knowledge that comes through practice. It is very, it is on the cusp, and Don is shaking his head. This word is on the cusp of a word that almost means wisdom. It is so close to that. It means putting our faith into practice. It means living like you have a relationship with God the Father, and his Son. And so how do, we, how do we know how to live our lives? God shows us every day by showing us Jesus. I just want to stop there for a second. Is this enough for you? Is this enough for me? With this fact alone, the fact that he has given us every single thing we need in our lives to live it excellently before him, by letting us have a relationship with Jesus, is that enough for you to be motivated to grow? Is that enough for you to be motivated to live your life acceptably before God every single day? If it's not enough, let's continue because he gives more reasons, more reasons, more things that God has given. Okay, so if this knowledge isn't enough, well, the knowledge enables us he says in verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So not only does God equip us with everything we need, giving us all of the, the instruction and the guidance in our lives, but God has also promised us some very great, precious things. I love all the superlatives that, that Peter adds here. You know, it's like he could have just said, God has promised us things. Nobody says God has promised us very great and precious promises. I mean, how much more he, he, okay, I had to write, I think it was like a 500 word paper when I was in elementary school. And so I said, the dog ran very, 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 very far. And I did not score a very high mark on that paper. You know, that is what Peter could be saying here. How many varies, how many superlatives could Peter be adding to these very great and precious promises? Now, you might ask yourself, Peter, 
What promises are you talking about? Here's the thing. I love how Peter kind of gives us a whiff of this or a hint of this, but he doesn't really nail it down super clearly. It's also why when he says his divine power in verse 3, is he talking about God? God's divine power? Is he talking about Jesus? Jesus' divine power. Because if you go back in the context, you see the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So is, is he talking about Jesus because Jesus was the last one he mentioned there? I don't know. By the way, if you look at a lot of commentaries, you look at a lot of uh, scholars, their opinions differ wildly on this. But I'm going to say that, as, as Mitch mentioned in class, I'm going to speak where the Bible speaks. I don't know. I don't know who he's talking about here. I don't know what these promises are that he's talking about here, but I can, I can use some context clues to find out a little bit more. Let's look a couple chapters later in chapter 3, verse 11. This is another familiar verse to, I think, all of us, but he says in verse 11, since all these things are thus, thus to be dissolved. He's talking about how everything you see, everything you know in this life is going to melt with fiery heat someday. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? Verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens. And a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What are we waiting for? I hadn't seen Jackie in a little while, our dear sister, who used to be a member here a long time ago. She caught me in the back. She said, where's your dad? That's where dad is. A new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Where do I want to be someday? Right there. If you want to talk about motivation, if you want to talk about the reason why you live this life to the fullest, it's these promises. Now, is he only talking there about this new heavens and new earth? Again, I said, well, I don't know. And, and I stand by that. I don't. Because here in, verse, in, ch in chapter 3, verse 11 to 13, he does talk about how there's a day waiting for us. There's a place, a home prepared for us someday that we get to look forward to. But you know what he also promises us? A relationship with his son. He promises us a relationship with him in which we get to know him, in which we come closer to him. And that actually leads us to the last thing that he talks about here. We have a promise that we can become, as he says here, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. One of the great promises that God makes to us is that we can be closer to him as we go farther and farther from the world. That is not a small thing. 
if you want to use anything as a motivator to become more and more mature in your faith, adding all of these qualities that we're going to talk about over this year, if you want anything as a motivator, draw closer to God is one of those reasons. Drawing closer to him. He says that you may become partakers of the divine nature. I wasn't going to use the word Hellenistic here, but there are so many people that talk about these words that he uses here, partakers of the divine nature. As Peter was speaking this in the days that he was speaking this, these kinds of words, this language was used by pagans to say that we should be like gods here on this earth. There was a whole faction of, of religious people, of idol worshipers, who thought that they were to live like gods, and everything that was in the world was dirty and needed to be stayed away from, that the world was, was evil, the world was not a good place, and so they needed to live in a different way. What is Peter saying here? Yes, we need to be partakers of his divine nature. We need to be godly. We need to be more like God. But what is the real problem? It's not this world that's the problem. What does he say is the problem? Sinful desire is the problem. I'm the problem. You're the problem. Our desires that pull us away from God are the problem. You understand that? You think about how our desires, as we were talking about integrity this morning, our desires pull us away from a relationship with God where we could be close to him, where we could be more like him, more godly, more holy, focused on righteousness. Our desires pull us away. And what has God done for us in calling us closer? He has helped us to escape our own desires. He has replaced our desires with his. And we see that, by the way, in chapter 2, verse 20. Chapter 2, verse 20, and this is, again, another familiar verse where he says, For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. This verse we've seen play out in our own lives, where we've seen people who have come to know Jesus, they've come to have a relationship with him, they've purified themselves, they've escaped the world because they know who Jesus is and they have that relationship with him. When they begin to become entangled by those things again, it's a bad situation for them. But we have escaped because God has called us to draw closer to himself. We've escaped those passions, those pleasures, all those things that once seemed like they were so enticing. At one point in our lives, our motivation, our why, was what felt good, what made me happy, what numbed the pain, what distracted me. That was why we did all the things that we did. And now why do we do the things that we do? Why do we add to our faith 
virtue and all of the things that he's going to talk about. Why do we do that? Because we've escaped. And not because we're so good, not because we have so much power, but we have escaped because he has called us, he has blessed us with the gift to call us to himself. We get to be like God. We get to be like him in holiness. We see every day, every time we open up this book, we see Jesus, we see his perfect example, and we follow that. For this very reason is where we go next. Because of what God has done for us, because of how he has given us all the equipment we need in life, because he's given us such amazing and precious promises, and because he continually calls us to himself and wants us to be closer to him and escape the evils of sin because of all of this. For this very reason, make every effort. Just stop right there, too. Don't you see that what has been given for you requires every effort on your part? There is a whole conversation here about grace and works. Of course, God has done his part, but that does not mean we just get to lollygag around and take our sweet time growing. If not now, when? What more do you need God to give you so that you will give him everything? Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, Growing to spiritual maturity is our goal for the year. If these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That relationship that we have with Jesus is effective when we take hold of his holiness and his righteousness, when we want to become more and more like him every day when we appreciate with such gratitude that we can't even describe it, the very great and precious promises that he's made us, we lay everything down at his feet. And he equips us with everything we need to live the best life. Not the easiest life, not the most comfortable life, but the best life, leading us toward that home. And that is how we respond. Amen? That is how we respond. And I love this goal. I love that the elders have chosen this year to focus on growth because if we are not growing, what are we doing? If we are not growing, we do not adequately and accurately see the immensity of the gift that's been given to us. We're not responding because we appreciate what's been done. We're just floating along. We are the puppies sitting at the starting line doing well, whatever we want to do. But what will motivate us to live a life of faith? What will motivate us to grow in our virtue? What will motivate us to increase in our knowledge or to stay self-controlled or to remain steadfast 
or to push toward godliness or to be kind and show love toward our brothers or just to, to let love control everything. If it's not the grace of Jesus, what is it? I have no better carrot than what's been provided for us in God's amazing grace. And here's the thing, and I know Sean's going to say it, there's no particular order to this list I don't think that Peter gives. Yes, faith is sort of a good foundation for everything, and you could go to 1 Corinthians 13 and you could see that love really is the height and the pinnacle, but you could shift everything else around in there. There's tons of stuff even in Galatians that aren't on this list. But it's a good focus for our study. What do we do? How do we live our life in response to what God has done for us? And every day, I think we can be better at those things that we're going to talk about this year. And here's, if you follow the structure of Peter's sermons, here's what God did for us. Here's how we respond. And then let's just talk quickly about what is waiting for us, because this is also what we're going to talk about this year. What awaits us? Verses 9 to 11 Peter says, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is a pretty amazing end to a sermon. Not my sermon, but Peter's sermon. Peter does an amazing job wrapping these things all up today because here's what he says. This is what's waiting for us. When God has done his part, and he has, if we will do our part in adding and growing, then here's what awaits us. We get to see ourselves more clearly. Isn't that what we see? For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind. He's forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. He is blind. You are blind if you are not growing. If you are not adding to your faith all of these qualities, you are blind. But when we do these things, when we grow in these things, hopefully at the end of this year as we find ourselves growing in our spiritual maturity, we will see ourselves very clearly. And isn't that sometimes the hardest thing? Isn't it sometimes so easy to say, well, those people over there need to fix this or that, or that guy down the pew over there, woo, doggy. But you know what's really hard to do? See me clearly, to see you clearly. Sometimes that's the hardest thing. But what God promises us that when we grow and when we are pushing forward toward excellence, we will see ourselves so clearly. We will increase in our confidence. We will know where we are going. We will be fully convinced, as, as really the whole book of 1 John talks a lot about, we will have confidence to know where we're headed. We will know and have confidence, and our, that confidence will increase. We will walk with stability. He says, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Now, does that mean it's impossible for you to fall? course not. Because as chapter 2 verse 20 says, there will be plenty of people who forgot that they were cleansed and they go back into the world. But it means if we practice these things and we grow in these things, then we're not going to fall. 
We stand on stable ground. And then finally, that great fulfillment of the promise. There he says that there will richly be provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I love this picture because what it shows me is that narrow road that I'm walking down. Someday when I get to the end of it, the doors are richly open. They're richly open. They are open for me and for you and for all who come to know Jesus and come to follow him. It's a powerful lesson. And it would, oh yes, it would be so easy for us, I know, and it's so tempting to just, let's talk about faith. Let's talk about virtue. Let's go down the list and check off the boxes and things, but let's, let's stop. Because of course, as you get into this conversation, as you start looking at this amazing list of things that we ought to be doing, why are we even gonna do that? We're gonna do it because God is so gracious to us. We don't deserve any bit of it, but God has given us everything we need to follow him and to be a strong, mature disciple. And may God bless you this year to do everything that you do in your growth and your maturity for the Lord for the right reason. May God bless you every day to see that it's his grace that drives you and propels you to be better and better. Not that any of us are perfect, not that any of us earn it, but we're all doing our part based on what God has done for us. And here's the question. If you are not a member of the Lord's body, you have not even started the journey. If you've not given your life to the Lord, you have not even set out on the course to become a child of his. God has given you everything, and he wants you to respond to him in faith. And if you're ready to do that this morning, if you're ready to come down to the front, confess that Jesus is Lord and that God is his Father who created this world and you're ready to be baptized for the remission of your sins, then let's get that done today. Please come as we stand and sing.